Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, the past, present, and future of language and the alphabet's best letters. There are patterns that occur in language that you may not even realize. Most of what you know when you know how to speak a language, you don't know that you know. It's very subconscious. People have been trying to manage language for as long as there's been language. Like if you go back to Latin times, there's people complaining about how the young people speak. And it's because language is constantly changing. And so people are trying to impose their particular ideas about how society should be through language. But then over time, those endings dropped out and you were left with that vowel change. So what was originally fot became fate. And that became feet. And once the great vowel shift happened. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest is an expert in the world's languages, where they came from, what certain words originally meant and sounded like, and why it is that we talk the way that we do. Because it turns out that there are so many things that we do that we don't even realize we're doing. And there's big questions about, is this something that we have learned? Or is this a fundamental part of who we are, our DNA? This is linguist Daniel Heber. Quick note, because we talk about some things that at least for me, that I had never thought of, there were parts of this interview that I had to kind of go back and listen to again to really realize what some of the things he talks about mean. What is linguistics? Linguistics is the scientific study of language. Scientific means that we approach language like any other natural phenomenon. Language is something that you can describe, you can study, there are rules to it. And I'm not just talking like grammatical rules. There are like, there are patterns that occur in language that you may not even realize. Most of what you know, when you know how to speak a language, you don't know that you know, it's very subconscious. So we as linguists try to make that subconscious conscious. We try and figure out like, what are those underlying patterns you're not even, not even aware of? What are the things that I don't know that I don't know about language? Uh, a really easy example is how to do plurals in English. If you have, uh, say you've got a little toy and this toy is called a wug. Just imagine it looks like a, a blue peep, for example, like, you know, you know candy, the peeps. Yeah, right? yeah. If, so you've got one wug. What do you call it when you have two of them? Wugs. Right, exactly. And if you notice, the way you pronounce that plural is it's actually a little bit more of a Z sound than an S sound. So if you put in a sentence, it becomes really apparent. So you can say like the wugs are running. You don't say the wugs are running, right? Like floor, like I have multiple floors. It's- yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah, precisely. And so there's, there's a rule that there's actually three different forms of the plural in English, there's the you pronounce it as an S after what we call voiceless consonants, where your voice box isn't vibrating. And so that's after like a P, T, or K. So you say cats. But after a voiced consonant, where your vocal folds are vibrating, you pronounce it as a Z. So you say dogs. And then there's a third variation of it, which happens after what we call sibilant. So after like an S or a Z or a SH sound. And so that will get you... Um, 
I always use fishes as an example, but people get mad at me about that one because they don't think fishes is a real world word. It is. It's the plural. It's when you have multiple species of fish. But any other word that ends in like a Z or an S um, would do this. So like mazes. And so if you notice, we stick a vowel on there. You don't say maze. You say maze is. And so that's a rule about how you form plurals in English that every native speaker of English knows without even knowing that they know it. So where do we get that from then? We just learn from watching other people or talking with other people? Almost everything we learn about language, we learn long before we get to school. We just learn it in the home. So by the time you get to school and people start yelling at you for doing grammar wrong, there it's too late. You already learned how to speak the dialect you're going to speak for pretty much the rest of your life. Most people's language doesn't really change too much after early childhood. You mean we can't even like if, okay, so for example, like I've bashed it into my head to say it's going well. Right. Rather than it's going good. But we total arbitrary rule that somebody made up and shoved down your throat. (laughs) That's what it means. When I look at most language or most grammar, I'm like, somebody just made this up. It's not like some fundamental law of the universe like gravity exists. Right. Yeah. Like why why do we get these things? Is it really just somebody, you know, like Benjamin Newton back in 1700 decided that, you know what, that, that, that's a comma there. Honestly, sometimes that is exactly what happens. So a really good example of this was Daniel Webster. He was trying to make a kind of more Americanized version of English for Americans. So he instituted a lot of spelling reforms. He instituted a lot of vocabulary suggestions and real, and people really tried to impose that on children in school. And sometimes it works, but for the most part, it doesn't because language isn't something that you can manage from the top down. It's something that is a, it's a complex adaptive system. It's like the economy or something. It's something that, you know, it emerges from all these conversations and interactions people have. But there are there are those rules, though, that you're talking about as though it's like, you know, like the law of gravity. It's just that those rules are more conventions and those rules are things like the plurals I was talking about. Is that because that's just the best way to do it or like our brain works like this? And the only thing I could think like put the noun first, like that's how our brain works. Like where does it come from? Yeah, um, it's a it's a whole bunch of different competing factors. And in fact, this is one of the very uh, fundamental debates in linguistics. There are kind of two camps in linguistics. One is called the generativist camp. And they're the ones that think that there is a core part of grammar that is actually genetically inherited. Um, so, so, for example, like the idea that subject should go first is something that they think is core to all languages. And even in languages that the subject doesn't appear first, the subject appears second or last or something like that. They say that underlyingly, it's a subject first language. And then there's the functionalist, which is a camp that I sit in. And we see that language is something that um, is shaped by all of the different cognitive skills that we have going on at once. So it's shaped by our ability to read people's intentions, our ability to have, um, you know, a complex hierarchical representation of ideas, um, limitations of cognition. Also, the fact that like when you're talking about something, you you have to talk about something in time. And so you tend to have to put the topic first. So um, about 60% of the world's languages follow a subject, object, verb, word order. So you would say like um, the the dog, the man bit would be the equivalent of in English of the dog bit the man. Um, but English doesn't do that. English is subject, verb, object. So English is a minority pattern. And so the question is why... of the world's languages. Why not all of them? 
and there are other languages. And as a matter of fact, I saw you're wearing a Pacific Northwest shirt. There's a language in the Pacific North- Northwest called Nichanoth, which always puts the verb first. And whatever you're talking about, whether it's like a noun, quote, or a verb, they turn it into a verb and they put that first. The verb is always the topic. So would that be like the difference between I am moving versus moving I am? Yeah, or it gets even crazier with Nuchalnoth. So if you wanted to say like, I am a man, there's literally, you take the the, na- the stem that means man and you turn it into a verb. So it's literally like, I am manning. Does this matter though? as long as you're speaking to the same group of people, right? No, right. Learn we all share the and... conventions of language, right? right? So, I, and what, unfortunately, a lot of people think though, is that, is that we do all share exactly the same way of speaking. And the fact is, is that language is incredibly diverse. Like this notion of like standard English is really kind of a myth. Nobody actually speaks standard English. Um, we all speak, everybody speaks a dialect. If you give people a map of the United States or whatever country, and you say, draw the dialect areas, they'll draw a bunch of different regions and they'll label them. And there'll always be one region that they label that they wind up calling normal or average or standard. And sure enough, it'll be the region that they're from. I guess I always just thought of languages that like different languages all worked the same way. It's just that instead of saying cat, I said gato in Spanish. But they fundamentally work differently? Oh, incredibly so. I I mean, there's so much diversity in the world's languages. I'll just give you like a tiny hint of some of the differences. So one of my favorites is in Navajo, there are 13 different verbs for any action having to do with um, handling an object or an object being put or placed somewhere or giving or taking an object, depending on the shape and size of the object. So... If I wanted to say that this pen is sitting there, I would say uh, city. But if I wanted to say that this piece of paper is sitting here, I would say siltzos. And if I wanted to say that this kind of roundish thing is sitting here, I would say si'ah. How does something like that come about? Because to me, like, well, that's a waste of time. Like, why did we figure out, you know what I mean? But like, we created 13 different words for this. But how does something like that evolve where people would have so many different ways to basically talk about something that doesn't seem necessary? Like, no, get the bigger one. <laughs> right. So um, the, the fact is, is that language isn't really logical. It really has nothing to do with kind of what's, quote, efficient, except that people are always trying to make language more efficient. It sometimes it's just kind of random, like what occurs in one language versus an- versus another. Do we know what was kind of the first one? No. And that is, as a matter of fact, that was such a controversial question that the French Academy banned all discussion of the origins of language for about 100 years because people would get into such bickering fights about it in academia. Um, we have a better and better idea today. We we still don't know the time frame. It could be anywhere from like 100,000 years ago to 40,000 years ago that it evolved. And, and we can't, we can't reconstruct that far back in history. We can reconstruct older languages based on present ones. We can we can literally look at modern day languages, compare them, and using evidence from those languages, wind the clock back and figure out what earlier versions of these languages used to look like without having any written record of them. Um, so, and we can confirm this because if you take like Italian and Spanish and French and compare them and do this process, use these techniques we have 
and you wind the clock back and you reconstruct the, or what earlier language they all seem to come from, you reconstruct Latin. And then, of course, we have lots of documents in Latin and we can confirm that that works. So, but we can only do that back to like the farthest back we've really been able to do that with certainty is probably in the order of like six, maybe 8,000 years. So if language evolved 40 or 100,000 years ago, there's no way we're getting to it. The farthest back we can get is essentially Latin. and um, The farthest like... back we can get is what's called Proto-Indo-European. So, so Proto-Indo-European was this group of languages that evolved probably in the Caucasus or around Anatolia, somewhere in kind of Eastern Europe, but there's some, um, some debate about that. Uh, and they spread and evolved into the Indo-Aryan languages in India. And so that includes Hindi. And then it evolved into Sanskrit, oh, and also Sanskrit over in India. And then in Europe, it evolved into the Celtic languages. So that's, uh, you know, that's going to be modern Irish and um, some of the, uh, like the Gaelic languages in France before the Romans took over. And then it also evolved into Latin and Greek. So English and Hindi are related. They're all part of this huge family of languages called Indo-European. It's like 200 some languages, at least, that all descend from this one proto-language. And it's just branched out and spread out over time. Is there any holdovers that we can like trace directly to that? Like we call a book a book because... We call a book a book because it originally, so it's related to the word beach. There's this common process, a sound change process in the world's languages where a K sound will become like a ch sound or a sh sound. It's called um, palatalization. And so originally it, it was related to the word beach because books were made from beech trees. And so those two words go all the way back, I believe, all the way to the Proto-Indo-European word for, for beech tree, I believe. If you have an answer to this, I would be amazed. Do we have any idea like what the first, like what was the first word that we ever figured out? Like, oh, that's the the first word we found. I would imagine it would be like fire. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because there is this notion of core vocabulary, vocabulary that is more resistant to change. Um, and for a while, it was really speculative. Um, but they recently did some great work actually figuring out, like looking at a bunch of languages and which words were least likely to change over time. And we now have that list. And sure enough, fire is on it. One of them, one of those kind of core words is fire. Out of the words, I believe like mom and milk and water, like land, earth, I think are other uh, good examples of that. So yeah, there is this idea, like those are the words you kind of want to look for in a language. I don't know exactly which which words they were able to reconstruct first, Um I believe it was 1786 that was the first time that uh, William James was able to kind of hypothesize that all these languages were related. And that really sparked modern linguistics. People started becoming very interested in how languages change. And after, because of that, they had to figure out how languages work in order to understand how they can change. So it really was this kind of modern re renaissance into, into language study. Looking back on it, are you surprised at how similar they are or that, I guess, well, do we have more or less than you think? would think that we would have uh i'm i'm it's more because if you think about it like this one would have started as just like one community like maybe one nomadic tribe that and probably the reason they were successful is because they were one of the first um, communities to get horse technology and we know like we can reconstruct words for like cart and horse all the way back to proto-indo-european um and also uh other things like we know uh, we can reconstruct the word for bee, like honeybees in particular. And at the time, honeybees were not spread around the world. And so that helped us pinpoint 
exactly where we think the Indo-Europeans came from. But so, yeah, they, they would have just been one community that was very successful and started spreading over time. And then also um, they, they might like they might have conquered their way through Europe, but it might have also been the case that their culture, what you know, they were a successful trading culture and they were able to spread a lot of their language through multilingualism and people learned it. So we're, you know, we're not 100% sure how it spread. Um, but yeah, the fact that you went from one community to hundreds of different languages, like is always kind of amazing. The other thing that amazes me. Um, so if you look at biological species, there are a lot of parallels between biological species and languages. And with biological species, the majority of the species on the planet that have ever lived are, are now extinct. They're gone. It's like 90% of all the species on the planet are gone. Um, so throughout history, all the way back to the dinosaurs and whatnot. And language is kind of like that too, uh, except that, you know, all of the languages we have today descended from original languages and things. But specifically in terms of the vocabulary, um, if you, you can take like one word from Indo-European, like if you took the word for one, there are, I think in the, in the case of one, there's at least maybe a hundred words in English that originally derived from the word for one. Um, so, for example, the word a and an, that used to be one. You used to say, like, uh, I saw one man, but you didn't pronounce it one at the time. At the time, time, it was pronounced on, on man. And eventually, the n started dropping out before consonant, so it became a man. You know, that's just one example. The word uh, 11, uh, the word 11 literally meant one left over. So it was originally, it was on leoven. And the Leoven is related to our word for left, to like to leave, to leave over or leave behind. And the on in front of it was originally one. So there's like, I, I think about a hundred words at least that come from just this one Proto-Indo-European root in English. And so you're, you're thinking like, why does it seem like everything just goes back to this one word? Well, it's because a lot of the vocabulary that used to exist in these languages has fallen out of use. And so just this tiny percent of like tiny proportion of Proto-Indo-European and now accounts for all of the vocabulary of all of these hundreds of languages. It's like this was the successful vocabulary in a sense that kind of made it through history. Is there any kind of a time frame where you could say like, all right, well, we know that every hundred years or 500 years or a thousand years, this language will be completely different, even though it is the same language. Like I'm thinking of English, right? And I right. went back to 1700 to be like, that's English? Like, yeah, if you, not... if you go back to uh, Old English, it's it's unrecognizable. The the Lord's Prayer in Old English sounds like uh, like you, like no one understands that. It's totally different. Old English had all sorts of cool um, like suffixes and prefixes that we don't have anymore. You used to have like ten different forms of every noun depending on whether it was the subject or the object or the indirect object, and we lost all that. So it's like totally changed. There was this one linguist, um, more Swadesh, who was very famous, and he had that exact same question. And he thought that you could kind of time how long it took languages to evolve and how far back languages separated from each other by comparing their, their core vocabulary. Um, and so this is called glottochronology. And it's totally kind of debunked now. We It just it turns out you can't really do that. So like if you look at Icelandic, Icelandic grammar hasn't really changed much in the past thousand years. The pronunciation definitely has. 
Um, but like a lot of the grammatical constructions are pretty much the same. Whereas English, you know, English has been through all sorts of contact with other people and borrowing and things. So English has completely changed. It looks nothing like it did a thousand years ago. So the pace of change for these two languages is totally different. So we can't really like predict how quickly they change. All of the top most frequent words in English are Germanic origin, but the top thousand most frequent words of English, most of them are actually from French or Latin because we've borrowed those words. So it's it's kind of interesting that the core vocabulary has stayed like like true to English origins, you know, true to the Germanic origins of English. And then everything else has been all those borrowing. So 60% of English vocabulary is from French or, or Latin. So how does this like process work in the sense that, all right, so you have this initial language and then let's just say one guy and his family go mm -hmm. over the mountains. Yep. And, and that's, instead that's of call pretty accurate. <laughs> That's basically right. Yeah. But like, how, how does it go from like, all right, this guy who went over the mountains, he's now decided that I'm going to call cat Gato. Right. And like, how does that then trend become a whole new language over time? We're like, nope, they've now changed the names for so many things that it mm -hmm. is now a new language entirely. Yeah, so oftentimes it's not even so much about changing the words for things, although that obviously is a big factor. But the things that people really have a lot of trouble with over time wind up being sound changes. So cat and gato is a great example. So th those two words are related to each other. Um, if you think about a K sound, like in, in, I know we spell it with a C, but it's a K sound for cat. And you think about a G sound for gato. Both of those sounds are pronounced in the same part of your throat. It's in the back of your throat there in the velar. Yeah, cow, oh, cow, yeah cow. I can actually feel it in the same place now yeah. that I think about it. And the only difference between those, like we were talking about earlier, is the um, whether your vocal folds are vibrating. And so what happened is in Spanish, speakers just started, for some reason or another, um, voicing, vibrating their vocal folds for that consonant. And it probably just started as like a subtle variation. You know, some people just kind of did it as like a, like slight accent thing and it just kind of drifted like a lot of languages just kind of random drift in that direction um and then or it's other but other times there'll be like reasons and pressures for it so in a lot of languages if you have a voiceless sound like a t between two vowels it will become voiced so um like the in, in spanish the ending ado ado so like you know um hablado spoken that D, I believe, was originally a T, and then it became voiced because it was sitting between two vowels. So sometimes there are pressures, like if you're vo voicing your vocal folds on on either side of a sound, there's more pressure for that sound to also be voiced in the middle, too, and you can understand like why that would happen. But sometimes it's just kind of random. There's this great thing in English that's called the great vowel shift. Um, it's quite the adventure English went on. Um, and if you... If you turn your head and you imagine, I'm going to keep speaking this way to the extent that I can. If you turn your head and you imagine like a side profile of your face, right? Where you pronounce the vowels depends on where your tongue is in the mouth. So you can kind of picture this kind of like sort of a trapezoidal area in the mouth where you would pronounce different sounds, right? So English started slowly shifting where we pronounced vowels in the mouth. So um, the word book, for example, used to be bulk. And that's why we spell it to this day with two O's. But over time, that vowel shifted and it, your tongue started moving up in the mouth and was book instead. Or sorry, no, that one, that one actually centered. So, but what, and what was interesting is when these vowels changed, they started moving into the space of other vowels. 
And so those vowels had to move. And so this is what's called the chain shift. All of these vowels, like all of the vowels in English, where we pronounce them in the mouth, just kind of rotated. And this is called the great vowel shift. And the really like pretty, uh, I don't know, I think it's kind of hilarious thing about this is this happened right after English spelling kind of got standardized. <laughs> so we, the printing press comes in the 1400s. We start printing books. Printers start having standard spellings for words for maybe the first time ever. They start standardizing this stuff. And then the great vowel shift happens and screws it all up. Is that why all of our words look like, but that's not the way that I would think that we say it. So we essentially say words differently than what they actually are read as. Right, yeah. Other languages have a much um, clearer correspondence between the the letter and the sound. Uh, but English, and it's not arbitrary in English, but there's just a lot more complexity in English to that correspondence. So the O thing, you, can you do that? What, like, what were the main vowels? So it used, they, English vowels used to um, be pronounced like they were spelled. So book was book and uh, uh, feet was fate. Um, and so actually, here's a good example. So foot and feet, the reason why we have a weird plural for some of those nouns is because English used to have, like I was talking about, different endings on nouns to indicate what a noun was doing in the sentence, so whether it was the subject of the sentence or the object, or whatever. And um, sometimes that ending on the noun would be like an, an E sound. And that ending on the noun would start affecting the sounds before it. So the, the plural of foot used to be um, foot, but it was foti with that E at the end of it. And speakers started kind of anticipating that E and it started affecting that vowel before it. So it became feti. But then over time, those endings dropped out and you were left with that vowel change. So what was originally foot became fate. And that became feet. And once the great vowel shift happened. But we would we recognize it, right? Like if you came from 800 and you've like, fate, what? <laughs> what are you saying? Right, yeah. It's feet now. It's feet now, dude. Like get with it. <laughs> yeah, get with it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Does now this you matter? Have to take... this, is, this is how language is. Right. And so now you have the, the reason we consider old English and middle English and modern English to be, we, we have separate labels for them is because they're not mutually intelligible. If you were to jump back to uh, the Great Vowel Shift, or right before it, you wouldn't. You'd have to learn the language like a second language. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Yeah, absolutely, of course. Hardest language to learn, easiest language to learn. Yeah, I'll give the disappointing answer. It really depends on the language you already speak. If you speak an Indo-European language and you want to learn another Indo-European language, it's a lot easier than if you speak an Indo-European language and you want to learn Navajo. Um, Tonal languages are hard for some people. Other people, they're very easy. Um, they pick up on, so tone is just pitch. It's just melody, just like in a song. But there's, so one, there's one important principle that all linguists really abide by, which is that no language is really any more complex or simple than others. Like certain, part, certain um, features of languages can be more complex, but they're usually balanced out by simplicity in other areas. It's, so it's like, what's an example of a tonal language? Uh, Mandarin's the famous example. So uh, Chinese is, um, I believe, a five-tone five system. So there's this famous example of the word um, ma, which 
uh, I believe if you say with like a high tone is horse, so ma. And if it's like a rising tone, it means mother. So you want to be careful not to confuse those. And there's like four other ones for it as well. Um, but Navajo is a tonal language. And that one's simple. It just has a high tone and a low tone. So every, every vowel is either a high pitch or a low pitch. So the way you say hello in Navajo is yate. And you can hear my that kind of elevated pitch. It's like yate. It's like high level. Um, there's a lot of languages in Africa, Bantu languages, like related to Swahili that are tonal. Um, and yeah, it's just a matter of kind of the melody on the words. Most efficient language. And I think what they mean mm -hmm. by that is like, what language can you say the most without saying the most? I, is there one that you're like, Ooh, that one's, they got right to it. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's actually kind of interesting. Some of the stuff that you were suggesting earlier might not be very efficient in language actually is really efficient because it packages a ton of information. Like if you take a verb in Navajo, there's so much information in there about the position, the location, the direction, the, the kind of makeup of the action, whether it was a habitual or a static thing that happened once, like all that's packed into this one word and you just can communicate it very efficiently that way. Um, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Okay. I may ask this question or make this point terribly, but I've always feel felt like language is inherently confusing because what one person thinks something means isn't actually what it might mean or what the other person thinks that it means. Yeah. So for example, I always think of the word like decimate. Well, it was decimated. Right. But that literally means reduced by a power of like 10%. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's not decimated if it's destroyed. Well, so this is um, uh, so this is very natural language change. Like, so the the historical meaning of a word is not necessarily the the current meaning of a word, right? So, no, very very few people, unless you've got you know you've had the chance to learn this fun fact, realize that decimate used to mean one tenth of. It's related to decimal and things like that. Um, so, what happens is you start using a word for kind of metaphorically or or figuratively. And over time, that use becomes so common that people start learning the figurative use of the word as the literal use of the word. And that's what happened with decimate. Um, and, and like literal. Exactly. Or, the word say, literally right. is now becoming figuratively. And here's the cool thing about literally. Literal, the meaning that everyone says is the literal meaning of literally today used to be its figurative meaning. Literally, originally, meant by the letter or having to do with letters or writing. And over time, that became figuratively used to mean like, you know, um, like exactly as said. And then now we're changing it again to actually mean figuratively and mean the reverse. <laughs> so we just keep switching it around. Yeah. And that's, like literal that's is common. That's language change. It happens to everything. What is it like? Is there any examples that you can think of in which a language didn't have a word for something? Oh, sure, all the time. Um, the important thing to kind of realize with that, though, is, is it doesn't really matter. So, um, a lot of languages don't have distinct words for green and blue. Uh, does that mean that those speakers can't understand the difference between green and blue? No, of course they can. And as a matter of fact, uh, Russian has separate words for light blue and dark blue. Uh, but, you know, are, does that mean that Russian speaker, like that English speakers can't understand the difference between light blue and dark blue? Of course we can. Russian speakers might be able to understand it a little bit more quickly and might be able to pick up on those color distinctions uh, a little more efficiently than English speakers because they've got a lot of practice at it. But it doesn't constrain your ability to think about a thing a certain way.
without kind of getting into the political aspects of it and things like this, but simply from a linguistic standpoint, Mm -hmm. when we look at kind of gender and language, right? We're now folks, which used to be F O L X or F O F O L K S, right? Like folk is now F O L X in some cases, right? Right. Where we're kind of changing words based on gender. And I think everybody knows what we're talking about. Like Mm -hmm. from a linguistic standpoint, does that have any precedence in history and, is what does this kind of mean for us moving forward, I guess? Yeah. So, oh boy, all sorts of great stuff to talk about with this. So for starters, that is mostly just a spelling convention that people are trying to adopt. In that particular case with folks, it doesn't really affect the pronunciation much. Um, True. However, there are certainly other cases where people are uh, advocating for like substantive changes to English grammar. So for uh, the, the singular they, a lot of people are advocating for a singular they. Um, and, or in, in Spanish, this is a big issue, um, talking about, uh, Latinx, right? So Spanish nouns all end in O or A, depending on if they're masculine or feminine. And so people are suggesting that they change those endings to always be an X. So it's gender neutral. And that requires like changing the grammar of the language. So, um, a couple things to be said to that. First off, it's really hard to do that. If you remember, I mentioned earlier, that language is not something that can be managed from the top down. So people have been trying to manage language for as long as there's been language. Like if you go back to Latin times, there's people complaining about how the young people speak. And it's because language is constantly changing. And so people are trying to impose their particular ideas about how society should be through language. Um, When people have ideas about language, it's almost never about language. It's always about something else. Uh, it's always about like a group of people or some idea about society. So um, they've been trying to manage language for centuries and centuries. And it just it's it's unfortunately not really possible. And even in cases where it's, you know, people are very well intentioned with something, um, it can be really cognitively difficult to get someone to use uh, singular they for like a definite reference to a person, because that's just it for most speakers of English. That's ungrammatical. Um, now there's an important distinction to be made there. We do use singular they all the time in English. As a matter of fact, singular they is older than singular you. The word you used to be plural and it became singular over time. And there have been records in English of people using they for singular longer than people have been using you for singular, which is pretty cool. But the the important difference there is that, um, People are using they for the singular when it's an indefinite or unspecified person. But when you use they for a specific person whose identity you know, that's when it's ungrammatical. People are like, they, it just kind of, bra- you, your, your grammar like breaks for a second. You're like, wait, who, wait, who's the, who, who's the they, who are we talking about? And it takes you a second to realize like, oh, it's the, that singular person. So for most people, some people, this is, isn't true, but for most people, it's still ungrammatical to use they for a definite specific person. But English is heading there. And I wouldn't be surprised if in 100 years that was totally normal and no one even thought twice about it. It is, right? It's kind of one of those things that like old man yelling at cloud, that kind of uh-huh. idea. It's yep. like, look, man, it's changing whether you like it or not. Yeah, exactly. And it, yep. In the long run, it doesn't matter. It's not like civilization is going to collapse because we've decided to make it. <laughs> right. But we've gone, we've gone through this kind of changes all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is kind of... A, 
I don't even know if this, this might be along the similar lines and this, so I'll use this example to try to, so when I think of like, uh, the word bitch, mm -hmm. yep. for example, is the best, this is the best one I can think of, or the first one I can think of, like in my, when I was growing up, bitch was a woman. I don't think of bitch as a woman at all. Mm -hmm. I think of bitch as a, like, that's what I say to one of my straight male friends when they're like, Hey, let's go out. Tonight. Right. Right. And they say, no, I don't want to I'm like, Oh, you mean a bitch. Like, does language change in real time with that? Like, what do you think about when a word doesn't mean what maybe it meant five years ago or 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes this change can happen really quickly. A good example of this is actually the word friend. So friend used to not be a verb until about 2006, seven when Facebook came around. And now, and now it's a verb, but it's a verb with a very specific meaning. It means to add someone as a connection on social media. Like you don't, you don't say like, oh, I, I friended someone at the bar. That sounds a little weird, right? Like, right. <laughs> like people maybe, like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was more accepted in 10, 20 years. But for the most part, it's like, it's got this specific meaning. But yeah, that it was like overnight, you know, verb, suddenly we friend. Like before Facebook came along, people would have said, no, friend isn't a verb. You have to say befriend. But now friend and befriend are two totally different things. They mean different things. And so, and now friend as a verb has entered the language overnight, like within a year. And that, that is incredibly quick for language change. It takes normally a generation. Is there any language that you look at and say that is nothing like any other? What is, what I guess is the most unique language? I am, I almost every week I encounter something in language that I did not think was possible. Uh, or just as unique and remarkable and diverse about language. So one that kind of recently really struck me uh, was when I was working on my dissertation, and I, my dissertation talks about Nuchanoth, that language in the Pacific Northwest. And this language has an entire set of like hundreds of suffixes. And these suffixes aren't like a plural suffix or like a present tense suffix or anything like that. These suffixes are what would be like full words in English. So you would add a suffix, um, like there's a suffix for two. So you would say like, you know, to have the stem man, and then you would put the suffix for two on the end of it, like the number two. And then you would turn it into a verb, you'd add a verb suffix. And so it would literally be a verb meaning to be two men. Is there an age where we don't learn? Is there really like an age where like, look, it's too late. Um, okay, so it becomes a lot harder after puberty. It's called the, they talk about the critical period. So if you don't learn your first language, whether that's, you know, sign language or spoken language, if you don't learn your first language, well, before you hit puberty, while you're in that critical period, you're probably going to never learn language. Um, so and there are cases of this, unfortunately, there are very unfortunate cases where you might have um, children who were deaf. And so the parents didn't realize that they weren't getting any language input and they weren't learning until it was like too late. And so they were very delayed in their language acquisition. There's cases of feral children. So um, maybe this is an example of a feral child, but there's this really unfortunate case of a girl named Jeannie who was basically locked in a room by her father until she was a teenager. And when she finally got out, she... Um, she was never really able to learn language. She was very, very emotionally expressive and people could tell like just how tuned in emotionally she was, but she could never pick up language after that. And there's a famous case of the, they called them the uh, wild boy of uh, Avignon, I believe, 
in France. He was found in 1799 and he'd been living in the woods by himself up until he was like 13. And he never learned language either. Um, but if you have exposure when you're young, then you can learn language throughout the rest of your life. And it is a little harder after puberty to learn languages as an adult. Um, but recent research is actually suggesting that um, it's not as impossible as previously maybe it, people have thought. So people used to think like, oh, you, once you're an adult, you'll never learn a language as well as you do when you're a child. And for the most part, that's true. But the reason might not be because we're like uh, cognitively incapable of it. It seems like the reason is really just more a matter of time. We got other shit. Going yeah, on. right. Yeah. When you're a kid, all you're doing all day is sitting around being a little language sponge. Like pick, you're learning like 50 words a day. Um, whereas an adult, we actually realize now that adults are also learning a lot of vocabulary very quickly. So lately, we've been kind of re reassessing our, our our existing beliefs about what we thought like adult language learning was like, but it's still very possible. What is your favorite curse word? Hmm. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I probably go with cunt myself just because I feel like it's one of the cur curse words that still has um a good bit of oomph behind it oh that is true like you can throw in fuck casually fuck's been around since like forever like 1400 like they we have documentation on fuck going way 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 back and that's such a fun word because it gets used as nouns and verbs and adjectives like you can do whatever you fucking want to do with fuck like it's a great word um but it, it it it's undergone what we call semantic bleaching it basically no longer has that same kind of pragmatic oomph that it used to. So that one is just like, if you're going to, if you're going to really curse and you want to curse to actually like have a little bit of that shock value, I think cunt's the way to go. That is true. Like if somebody, you know, if I'm in a restaurant or a public place and somebody says, fuck, I'm not yeah. paying any attention. Right. But if somebody says cunt, like I'm snapping my head around like, oh, yeah, like, oh it's, it's gone down. Right. Something is about, something is about to happen. Yeah. Um, what is, your favorite word in any language like this is a great word the words that really interest me are the ones that have like just illustrate the beautiful complexity of the language that they're being spoken in um so the language i work the most with is a language called chitimacha and it's the uh, one spoken in louisiana uh, it's a native american language and i just so there's um I know this seems strange, but it's there's a lot of words that um, are whole verbs, and but they get used as a noun. So it's the word for bridge. The word for bridge in Chitimacha is they usually cross it. And, and it's this whole verbal construction. It's got habitual suffix in there. It's got a plural suffix. It's got an intransitive suffix to tell you that it's like a, a verb that only has one actor. And it's got an instrumental on it to say that, you know, it's like you're doing it with the bridge. It's all of these things like packed into this one word. But it doesn't mean that like nobody uses it to mean cross. They use it to mean bridge. And this is something that happens in a lot of languages. Like in Navajo, the word for chair is literally um, you sit up there on it. Uh, and the, or like in uh, Cayuga, the word for horse is it hauls logs. And so recently, these have become some of my kind of favorite examples of words in Native American languages that, you know, they're verbs, they're actually verbs, but people have come to use them as nouns, and they no longer even realize that they started as verbs a lot of times. <laughs> when we when you looked at right like language and race, mm -hmm. what's kind of the big controversy in that regard? Well, like I said earlier, when people have attitudes and ideas about language, it's never about the language itself. There's never any linguistic basis 
to these ideas, these attitudes. It's always about some preconceived notion they have about the people that they see as speaking that way. So, and for a lot of people, you will let something slide with groups that you, you know, have no, no issue with, and you will raise it as being ungrammatical or non-standard for other groups. So a question I get asked on TikTok all the time is why do black people say acts instead of ask? So this is a really revealing question because first off, it's not the case that just black people say this. That's a very common feature of a lot of white dialects as well. So they're like, especially in Southern English, you'll hear people say acts all the time. So the real question is why when you hear that, that way of pronouncing it coming from a white person, do you kind of let that slide and not think twice about it? But when you hear a black person saying it, suddenly you're like, ooh, that sounds ungrammatical. That is true, right? Like you can't say that acts is ungrammatical and then say y'all in the next. Great example. Yeah. Well, and of course, the thing is from a linguistic perspective, like y'all and acts are both perfectly grammatical constructions. As a matter of fact, the pronunciation acts has been around in English for as long as the pronunciation ask has been. They used to be, there used to be all sorts of variation in the spelling between those two up until I think like the 1800s. And at that point, people started standardizing the spelling on ask, but the pronunciation never went away. It's just that that spelling got standardized. So those two pronunciations have been around for ages. Y'all is, the reason y'all came about is because remember that plural you became singular. And so we needed new ways of talking about plural you. And so English, depending on your dialect, developed like six different ways of saying plural you. You guys, y'all, yins, yuans. It is, it's something that a lot of people don't think about. Like, like language kind of winds up being one of the last bastions of acceptable discrimination. A lot of people that are out there, you know, really being advocates for social justice and like being anti-discrimination will nonetheless like judge people very harshly on the way they speak. Even though linguistically, there's there's no basis for that. Y'all is just as good of a plural pronoun as you guys is. There's, it's just that one dialect has more prestige associated with it than another. Linguistically, they're the same. Every dialect is as rule governed and as well structured and regular as any other. Like this isn't some fundamental law of the universe. Right. Like you're not doing it wrong. You're doing it differently. Exactly. Yeah. And if you think somebody is doing it wrong, it's basically just based around your own right. upbringing and moral compass. Yep. And so like a, I, I love using this example because it so a lot of people will criticize uh, African-American English, certain dialects as being you know, lazy, lazy English or ungrammatical or broken English or something like that. But if you actually go take a scientific approach to studying the rules of African-American English dialects, you start seeing this beautiful grammatical complexity in this really well rule governed system. So a really uh, popular example is um, in, in kind of mainstream standard English, we have two present tenses. We have a present simple of like I run and a present progressive, I am running. So we have two different types of present tense. A lot of varieties of African-American English have three or four different present tenses. And that will be the difference between a simple, a progressive, and a, a habitual. So it's the difference between he run, he be running, and he running. And those all mean slightly different things. And if you're trying to speak that dialect and you use the habitual one to not mean something, like not refer to habitual action, you're speaking that dialect incorrectly. You're speaking ungrammatically. 
you're not following the rules of that dialect. So it's, it's a rule governed system. It's like every bit as structured as any other dialect. It's just that the rules are different. That is really true. I've always found that fascinating when you look back in history and it's never what someone is doing. It's always who yep. is doing it. Yep. It's always the way that it is. Um, What's kind of coming up next for you? Well, I just recently uh, finished a, um, a postdoc at the University of Alberta here in Canada. So I was doing research with the Plains Cree community. We were making an online dictionary, like an intelligent dictionary that would recognize all the forms of words in Cree. And so I've just finished that position. And now I'm working full time with the Chittimacha tribe in Louisiana. And we are making a modern dictionary and grammar of the language so that they can revitalize the language again, which for them, uh, they're super, super excited about this because their last speaker died in 1940. And so we are working from archival materials that a linguist, he recorded 120 stories. He made some wax cylinder recordings. He did all this documentation back in the 30s during the Great Depression. He sat, he was sitting in the middle of the bayous of Louisiana with his notebook and during the Great Depression as a grad student, like documenting this language. And then in the 90s, the tribe like learned about these materials. They didn't know they existed. They thought their language was just completely gone. They would never hear it again. And they found these materials and we started a language revitalization project. And so now they're working to teach the language to the kids in schools and again. And so that's I'm super excited to be working with them full time on that now. I want to thank Daniel so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. First of all, do you know that there's a glass of wine behind you? Oh, there is. Let me see. Oh, hey. <laughs> I might as well drink it if it's here. You know what I mean? So how long did you practice that? i got to say that it's not my first glass of the evening. Uh, but I, I was only going to drink it if you said something. But you put it there on purpose for me to say something about it. Oh, 100%. Yes, of course. I'm going to say something here that might be a little controversial. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand men who drink wine. <laughs> right and that's that was the perfect laugh for a guy who drinks wine that because <laughs> i don't think that you actually like the taste of wine i think that you want to be a guy who drinks wine i don't think you like the taste i think you're like you know what i'm gonna try to be more sophisticated than i really am and i'm gonna have this glass of wine i think you're putting on an act so i understand what you're saying however uh i i don't want to say i'm a fan of wine but you can tell that I'm not a, a faker of wine because of the wine I drink. I like super red wine that is dry, as dry as sawdust. And wine to me is like coffee. It's just gross. I can't stand the taste of it. It's disgusting to me. I mean, it's an acquired taste. I, I got to tell you, it, it does the same thing to me that an edible does. It smooths me out. It relaxes me. And I don't have to worry about blacking out and not knowing where I am if I take 20 milligrams on accident. Well, what's the fun of that? That's why I drink whiskey. I I don't want to know what's going to happen next. I want to be surprised. Wine is just an easy, it's always been, uh, I mean, I've been drinking it for years. Uh, It's always been an easy, you know, 
drink for me. You actually, true story, the first time I ever had a glass of wine was in my early to mid-20s when you bought it for me being an asshole one time. Yeah, one of my favorite things that I still do is buy people really (laughs) terrible drinks and watch them drink it. Like when we're out at the bar or to get like a white wine spritzer. It's just funny to me. I've always thought it was hilarious. It's like, huh, watch this guy drink. Maybe it's not the act of drinking wine. Maybe it's the glass and the way that most men hold the glass that I'm kind of like, like if you were in the old West and you walked in with a glass, like you go to the bar, you order a glass of wine in the old West. Come on. I mean, however, I mean, wine was the, the drink for a lot of, a lot of cultures a hundred years ago. They just drank it out of, they just drank it out of metal containers instead of glass. That's fine. You know? Like, I've got no problem with pirates drinking wine. That's fine. <laughs> I've got a problem with you drinking it when you sit there with your hand the way that you're holding it and sipping out of it like it's a little baby cup. Mm. God, I knew that was coming. Mm. Oh, so, look, here's my actual question for you. Do you think that you are smarter than you sound while speaking or in written form? Like, do you think that you are smarter than you sound? Oh, 100%. I I feel, (laughs) I've always felt this way, that if you just take me on appearance alone, I look like somebody that should not have passed high school, graduated from high school. I would agree with that, actually, yeah. Yeah, I just don't Like, you would wonder a little bit, like, is he all right? I've, and this is no, uh, this is no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not trying to put down or make fun of any communities, uh, but I, I've I've seriously had people come up to me and ask me if I was autistic or if I'm on the spectrum, uh, just because I, I look a, a certain way or 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 whatnot. I, I've I've seriously had people ask me if I was autistic before. What do you say to that? Like, what kind of? How do you answer that question? I just say, no, I'm not autistic. No, I mean, you know, first off, I've always wondered. It's only happened that I can think of maybe three times in my life. Uh, and what's funny is they are the most random times, too. Like, they're not at bars when you're drunk or, like, with your buddies and someone just happens to come into the group or whatever. And, you know, it's it's always been, like, in a, in a weird setting where somebody's like... I can't believe someone would ask you that question. Hold on. Is it going to be annoying if I do this every time? I think pretty much everything you do is annoying. I I got to tell you I wasn't going to do this and then I I thought about it and I'm like what would piss Nick off me drinking a glass of wine during a recording I feel like these weekly conversations that we're having now are actually making you a more annoying person you're slightly becoming me because I used to be by far <laughs> the no- the more annoying of us and you're really starting to step it up and you're your your ability to annoy people. So wait a minute. How much did you pay for that wine? How much do you pay for, like, what's your price point here? What are we talking? So that was actually donated to me, uh, given to me by one of my coworkers, Keith Hornberger. Shout out to you, sir. You know, unfortunately, I'm a snob for, like, beer and meat. And I'm kind of a wine snob. You want to know how much I pay for a bottle of wine? I don't... I mean, I can I can drink a, a ten dollar bottle of Cab, but there is a considerable difference. Oh my God, dude! Look at you! Look at what you're what? becoming! What am look I becoming? at what you're becoming! First of all, you're bad mouthing a ten dollar bottle, and you're abbreviating it. 
You're going to have some Pinot after this? Maybe a nice Sav block? Oh, it's so hard for Like, me. look what you're becoming. What? I mean, I'm the candle connoisseur. Does this surprise you that I like wine? It should not surprise you. That is true. Maybe I've been naive to the real you this whole time. Here, here's the thing that that I will I this will be my 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 stamp on this conversation, is that I think more people enjoy wine than what you think. I think if you were to have wine, I, I don't know if your wife likes wine, but if she liked wine, I guarantee you you would also enjoy wine. No, my wife does like wine, but I do not like the taste of it specifically, and I think that also. I have some, I don't know what you would call it, confirmation bias or experience bias in that I have generally not been in settings with other men while just drinking wine. My father did not. My grandfather did not. And generally when I've been around like other dudes drinking, we're usually going to the bars. And if you're going to the bars, you're pre-gaming it or getting ready for a game, having some beers or having some shots. You're not really like, all right, guys, let's pre-game. Where's the wine cork? <laughs> Get it out. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm wine is is like a Monday through Friday drink, right? It's not what I'm drinking with my buddies. It's you know, I, it's it it is what it is. I mean, it's not. I just enjoy it, and I can go through a complete bottle in one sitting, and it's it's just delicious. I don't know what to tell you. Hold on, everybody. I can just see Nick, like, getting angry. Like, he's so mad. And you can't edit any of this out. This has to be organic and raw, by the way. All right. Oh, man. I picked some really rough names to try to do this after a bottle of wine. I'm sorry if I screw your name up, but here we go. Uh, Raji Nunda. Samu Savage. Dean Wilkinson. That's going to be the easiest name on this list. Uh, Dean Wilkinson. is that? That's a famous name from something. There's a, somebody named Dean Wilkinson. That is a famous name. I thought but I can't think of what it is. I thought so too, but I, I don't think it's this D, uh, Dean Wilkinson or D Wilkinson for one four seven. Shout out to you, uh, Kimball Kinnison, Kate Naomi, James Sonnenmeyer, Brian Janest, John Taylor, Angel Galindo, Sonny Latimer. Or he has the, they have the best handle, by the way, that I've seen in a long time. Uh, Bambino Titties. Shout out to you, Sonny. Uh, what is... <laughs> and then uh, Donna Lutens. You guys get the shout outs for this week. Appreciate every single one of you. Oh, Dean Earl Wilkinson is an English comedy writer who scripted the Sony console game Little Big Planet. Don't think that's him, though. I, I don't think it is either. All right. Uh, let's see here. I got a couple of bangers for you. Uh, red, white, uh, <laughs> red wine or white wine? I already screwed it up, but that's not a real question. Uh, how, how do you eat your chicken? You have to rank these one through three. Oven, uh, oven baked, grilled, or fried? Oh, fried is clearly number one. Okay. Two is oven baked, and three is grilled for me. I have also generally, to give you an idea of my mindset and my whole wine rant, I also think the grill is incredibly overrated. I think it dries food out. And I think that if somebody's ever like, hey, let's grill, why? Don't you want it to taste good? (laughs) I think the grill is an overrated thing. I think it's completely overrated. Everything should be cooked in a toaster oven, 
Everything should be cooked in a toaster oven. You love toaster oven. I, you almost make me want to buy one, to be honest with you. It's fantastic. It pre- preserves the moisture. Grilling dries things out. You want to like have a good steak? Throw mm-hmm. that sucker in the oven. Don't grill it. Put it in the oven. That's the real way to do it. Any good, any chef worth his salt is going to tell you that. <laughs> oh, worth his salt. Pan sear it. Pan sear it. Now, do you sear it? Like so, actually pan sear it, or do you cheat and get you know like a flame gun? Um, I sit watching TV and look over and see what my wife is doing and how she makes it because I don't. <laughs> she's a much better cook than I am. All right, that's. I mean, listen, that surprises nobody. What What's the last meal you've actually cooked? Def- well, oh gosh, like like really, like yeah. cooked the whole thing. Well, yeah, I cooked the whole thing and like you know, like it like you were you were doing it for a reason. Like, hey, honey, I'm gonna make you dinner tonight. Or oh, I've never done that. I've never done that in my entire life. Have I ever made someone else dinner? But I don't have a sense of smell, so it's not like what's. Excuse- I can't do it. It's Excuse not. Me, there's man. no reason for me to do it. Like, hey, do you want to make this or do you want me to make it? And it's not gonna taste good. Like, what do you want to do here? Is this done? I I can't, I don't know. <laughs> Right, like the last the last thing I here's the two things that I make. I brown meat for uh, tacos that I eat Monday through Thursday, and then I make spaghetti for Friday and Saturday. That's what I do. That's what I eat. And everything else consists of me pulling out frozen stuff from the oven and eating it. I basically eat like a ten year old child. Man, you know, I, I guess I never I've never realized how terrible. It must be not to have a, like a sense of, of of taste or smell. I wouldn't say it's terrible, right? Because you can go through pretty much your entire life without really, like, in the grand scheme of things, is this is this that bad? Is this really that bad? But it definitely does have some like side effects that you, other people might not necessarily think of. Like, why would I ever spend time investing in food? It's meaningless to me. Damn. Well, uh, all right. Fair enough. Uh, the second one, uh, it's another. You want to make fun of my dead mom now? I'm not. I'm not making I, fun of my disability. Wasn't making fun of anybody, especially not your dead mother. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, you got to rank these one through three. Uh, regular golf, foot golf, or disc golf? I've never played foot golf. I thought you were gonna. You didn't, you're not gonna put miniature golf on there because I would put miniature golf as number one because it's basically can. the same principle as golf with a lot less walking. <laughs> yeah, sure. You can. We can. We can exchange uh, foot golf for miniature golf. That's fine. Then it's gonna be miniature golf, disc golf, and then probably regular golf. I'm not a big golfer. Now, do you want to go sit in the cart and ride around there and have some drinks? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. But do I have to? Why do I have to waste time hitting this ball? Okay, can I just be drunk? Because I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh wait, hold on. Do you want you me to said... really swing this stick around? Oh, you said drunk. Hold you on. got wine on the golf course? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. You've gone and you've gone golfing with some buddies and been like, "Can I get a glass of wine?" No, but I but I'm sure they have it. I'm sure they have little bottles of wine, little one hitters. I'm sure. I'm sure they do, but no, but no man and his buddies has ever done that. I tell you what, I'm supposed to go. I think Friday. I'll let you know if I get some some wine on the turn. How about that? Bring a box, dude. Bring a box of wine. Now I <laughs> I, I will not do a box of wine ever. 
If I had a choice between getting drunk off wine or wine coolers, I would choose wine coolers. Oh man, no, man. Here's the I I, I don't think I don't think you're giving it credit. I, I'm telling you, I'm giving it the credit it deserves. Have have some of your wife's wine, and I think you're going to like it. I've tried this. It's not good. I don't like it. I don't like the taste. Well, I mean, I don't like the taste of coffee either. Well, that's your. It's disgusting to me. Disgusting. Okay. All right. Uh, what else we got? Well, listen, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I want to get your opinion because, well, you matter. Uh, Mike no. Tyson, right? We, we've all seen that viral video oh, by yeah. now of where he's on a plane, which I think was Spirit, by the way. Why the fuck is Mike Tyson flying Spirit? That is a big question to me, honestly, in my mind. is like, why is Mike Tyson flying this and sitting in coach? Yeah. Because that is a man that whatever financial struggles he has had could make money in an instant. Just like, hey, I'm Mike Tyson. Want me to sign some shit? Give me a hundred bucks. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he, he could make what what you said, five grand. He could make 10 grand in a weekend signing for two days. Easy, right? Right. Um, like those people are never really broke. Like I'm broke. Well, you've got 50 million in property. Why don't you sell that? <laughs> right. So anyway, yeah. so for all you listeners out there, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have. He's on a spirit flight. There's a guy behind him that's kind of heckling him, kind of being annoying. Uh, Mike Tyson keeps telling him to stop. The guy doesn't stop. So Mike Tyson turns around and starts wailing on the guy. Bloodies him up pretty good, as you would expect fucking Mike Tyson to do so. Uh, And that's kind of it. Mike Tyson gets off the plane. There's no charges pressed. There's nothing pressed. Actually, Mike Tyson uh, tweets or Instagrams something about like, you know, this is the problem with society that, you know, social media's um, social media's made it seem okay that you can do this, uh, you know, that you can heckle people and get away with it. So my question to you is, I guess it's a two-pronged question. One, was Mike Tyson in the right? And two, if you were that person that was heckling him and he turned around and started wailing on you, what, uh, you know, what would you do? Think to myself... Why did I do that? That was the first thing that I would think once Mike Tyson turns around and punches me in the face. That was the biggest mistake of my life. I don't know if he's right, but I don't think he's wrong. That's what my honest thoughts would be. Like Mike Tyson might not be in the right in that regard, but he's not wrong. And I agree with that idea that like, dude, you do something like this, there's going to be repercussions with some people. I mean, in the sense that, like, if you keep pestering somebody, oh right, you kind of have to be expected at some point to get punched in the face. Like that guy shouldn't have been surprised. How many times did he hit him? All I the- feel like he's got one, maybe two. Like you can't now if he's sitting there just like drilling this dude like six times. Like, all right, man, you gotta. <laughs> I mean, I'll I- give him two, maybe three. The the thing was he he didn't actually he didn't like wind up it wasn't like a hook or like a jab he was like you know his arms were in close and he was like like speed punching him which still hurts I'm sure but it's not like he was winding back you know cocking the fist and like just fucking letting him have it I don't think he needs to probably no I don't think I mean, he's Mike Tyson I don't think so. <laughs> he probably doesn't have to that much anyway. Are you, are you ready for this one? This one was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Nick texted me about our top five uh, way before the show and was like, are you ready? So I, I'm I'm excited. Let's do it, man. Let's get it. So our top five is top five letters of the alphabet. What's, what's your number five? 
So my number five, it's a homer pick, but I have to put it on there, and it's Jay, obviously for John. I just don't think that that's a great letter, to be honest with you. It, it is, it's prevalent in a lot of names. There's a lot of good, solid names that start with J, I mean, John, Jesus, Jesus Juan, Jennifer, Jessica. A lot of good J names. But I don't think that it's great for, like, everyday usage. There's not a lot of J's that you're using outside of people's names. Like, think, what's the good J word? Right. That's why it's not a top five, in my opinion. I, I said it was a homer pick. It's my only homer pick, and it's because it's my first initial. So That's bias, and we shouldn't be that biased in this top five. This is a scientific poll. <laughs> Of two yeah. people. <laughs> this might be the most profoundly pointless pod, uh, top five we've ever done on this podcast. Uh, my number five is T. It's reliable. And think about this. If there's a T in a word, you pretty much know how to spell it. No, that's not true. Time. There. You know how to spell it. You just might not spell the correct one, but you know how to spell it. The... <laughs> Think of how prevalent T is in the language. T's a good one. T's a number five, in my opinion. It just doesn't have any flash to it. It's not It's not a sexy letter, but it's a reliable letter. I mean, it's, it's on my list. It's a, little, it's a ways up, but it's on my list. So oh, You're going way up there. Okay. What's your number four, then? Uh, S. Ooh. That seems low for S. S is it's one of the most used letters. It also is, is is one of one of the more. Uh, it, it's in a lot of words, right? It's it's usually um, speaking of, of more than one thing, but it's. It, I mean, it's it's in a lot of words that maybe we don't even realize that we don't even realize we use it. Like yes, that's uh, it's you know yours. It's always you know on the end Plural. of a lot of words. Makes things like that's okay. So S is my number two. Basically, because it's the plural, and it's always like always the plural. More of something is always good, right? Always, except for cocaine. Cocaines. What is the plural? Is does cocaine have a plural? Coke. Cocaines. Coke. Maybe. Maybe it's just. What's the singular? Wait. What's the singular of drug of a, a drug? Is this like, or is this like animals where like? There's a dog, and then a group of dogs is a pack. So if you have one hmm. cocaine, what's the plural of cocaines? Co- or any drug. What's the plural of marijuana? Marijuanas? I have multiple marijuanas. Well, I think for, I have several marijuanas. I think where I marijuana several. would be pot. Like you know, I think pot is all encompassing. I do think of multiple kinds of marijuana when I when you say pot. But is there a plural of a single drug? Like, hmm. I have a beer. I have beers. I have pots. I have marijuanas. I have cocaine. Hey, take a hit of this pot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a... Hmm. There's no plural for individual drugs. We might have just stumbled onto, like, the greatest question facing our generation. Well, how are we going to have a plural for multiple instances <laughs> of one kind of drug? we got to figure this out. My number four is F. And I don't think that there's really that many great F words or that 
F in and of itself is that great of a letter, but it's got the word fuck, which is probably the most versatile language word in the English language. Awesome. So oh. it's pretty much held up by the strength of that one letter alone. Like it doesn't have a great batting average, but if it hits, it's a home run. That's what F is. I don't agree with it, but then again, I don't know what my basis for not ag- not agreeing is. Because I, I can understand it a little bit. Like, what are some other like? Well, free. That's a good word. I mean, four. That's an F word. Four, four. What's great about four? It's not three. No, like which is a t- like F O R, like the the word four, not the let you know, not the word four. Yeah, dude. I mean, I got it. I understand the number is what the number is the word you're looking for. Four, the, yeah. Um, anyways. wait a minute, but how is but the golf four is spelled differently? Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's three how you spell it then F O R E, F O R, and F O U R. Very good. You could also argue that that fur is the same as four if you say it in a with an accent, but that doesn't matter. Uh, my number three is the letter E. Why? Because it's a secondary value vowel. Uh, I I looked it up. It's the most used letter in the English language. So, McDonald's <laughs> isn't the best hamburger. But but I mean, just based upon usage alone, uh, it, it deserves a spot on a top five list of letters. All right, it just doesn't do anything for me. It's My boring. Three. It's boring. Yeah, it's boring. My number three is X. You see X in a word, something's happening. I mean, not not really. What's a word that's not cool that has X in it? X-ray. Something's happening. Xenophobia. Something's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Xylophone. It's probably the worst Z word or X word, but still, generally, X always adds a little bit of spice to whatever word it's in. Xena Warrior Princess. Is Xena with an X? I thought that was a Z. I think it's X E N A. I think. Is it? I always thought it was a Z. Oh, okay. All right. What's your number? Uh, what's your number two? So I, I have T as my number two. All right. Why now? Why? Same reasons as me, or would you have some personal attachment to T? Uh, I just think it's the most, you know, I said E is the most used letter. I feel like T is the most used all-encompassing, you know, in terms of of, of just words. Because, I mean, how many times have you said, you know, that, this, the, them, then? Uh, I would say it's only rivaled by by my number one in terms of use everyday usage. I feel like we probably have the same number one. My number two was an S. Mm-hmm. We went over that. What's your number one? Why? What? <laughs> why? Yep, why? How do you come a... Why? You're asking right now, why? Why? Why are we whying about why? I was really trying to come to ask you a question about it without using that word. To just further encourage this. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I understand that why might be uh, a little different. It might be a different number one, but... Yawn. You? I mean, how many times... I mean, first off, it's talking about the singular you know, pronoun of the person that's speaking. That automatically <laughs> should give it, you know... 
That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought for sure you were going <laughs> to fuck that up. I, I know. I thought automatically it's referring to the third person in the past participle. <laughs> yeah. Fucking uh, bunny and honey and sunny and shit. But yeah. No, anyway. So, I mean, it's I, I know it's a little bit different of a, of a number one, but it's... Once again, I think Y is one of those uh, consonants that you don't realize how much you use it. Y is a vowel. No, Y is not a vowel. Y is a vowel, bro. No, Y vowels are A, E, I, O, and U. And sometimes Y. Y is a vowel. No, it's never a vowel. Yes, it is. Motherfucker, the internet exists. How is Y a vowel? Sometimes. How many times have you ever seen? Oh no! Yeah, it's we're not. We're both wrong. We're both wrong. Why is considered to be a consonant and only sometimes a vowel? It's always going to be a vowel in my mind, though. That's fine. It's always a consonant. Listen, if Pat Sajak doesn't give it as an option on on the Price Is Right. Uh, or not the price is right, Will of Fortune, then it's not a, a vowel. So You don't buy a vowel with Y? No, man. Have you ever seen? No. You're, you're a fucking liar. You've never seen Will I'm of Fortune. I'm aware of it. It's not that. I never was burped. It's just not a great show to me. It's it's not a great show. Pat Sajak, if, if he listens. Which he doesn't. Uh, I, I think he's I think he's an asshole. He probably is an asshole, but he's made millions only- of dollars. The only reason that I've really never gotten into Wheel of Fortune is simply because every time I've ever seen it, I've just always wondered how much money Vanna White is making and why couldn't I have that job? Uh, Like, why couldn't I do that? Because you're not a gorgeous-looking woman who can just touch a screen. (laughs) I guess you could be. Right? i got to change up my approach. My number one is, is, is A. I don't know how you don't have A on your list. It is the only letter that is also a word. Um, no, not really. I don't think so. What other letter is also a word? Uh, y. A. Y has its own. You just you're just writing Y down there. I mean. I mean, uh, you know, there's a WH in front of that. Right? You, I mean, people, you know, all the young kids use you, just the letter. Don't you know. go into abbreviations. A is the only letter that is also a word. There's nothing else. I'm pretty sure the letter A is not a word. It's like A H uh, or A A H or something. Oh yeah, I, mean, I would like a beer. <laughs> exactly. What I'm not. Thank you. I'm, that com. That's done. It's it's but so's I I you know I oh motherfucker <laughs> I mean, it is oh. I, I mean I forgot about I <laughs> I forgot about I I mean we, we prob- really I should probably be on there too we, we, honestly yeah we probably should put I because how many how many sentences do you start with a day that uh, start with you know uh, an I probably fifty percent at least. I think of other people, so I don't usually do that. I do this. I did that. I did this. I purposely try not to sound like I'm talking about myself, so I'll skip over an I in a sentence. Like we talked about. (laughs) It's weird. My wife is like, what are you doing? It is weird. You kind of look like you're a special person. I'm not the one who gets asked about it. God, what does your wife do when you get asked about that? 
Uh, well, she's she's been there actually for for twice for two of them, and she doesn't really say much. She just you God, know, she's dying inside. She though. lets me walk off alone and go play with the toys, and she comes <laughs> picks me up later. <laughs> That's kind of man. <sighs> you got a lot of pill road there, buddy. All right, what's in your honorable mention? Oh yeah. Uh, so I have I. Uh, I also yeah. I also have R. Mm. I have U. I have Z. Yeah, U's kind of a cool word. Z in there because I mean Z Z probably is the coolest letter, but the most useless letter of the alphabet. I would I would argue. Yeah, you could probably get rid of Z. Honestly, we don't really need it, and just put an S in there. <laughs> Nobody would even know for most part. Uh, then I have C, B, and M and N are, are my are my last ones. I don't really care about any of those letters that are pretty much in the middle. Whenever we're talking about like K through O, mm. I don't really care about any of those. Like, eh. so the whole middle of the alphabet is just meaningless to me. Now I write in cursive, so D is a cool looking letter to write, like because it's like woo woo woo. It's like lots of swoops in it. It's always fun to write a D, especially if you're starting the sentence. Like it's fun to start a sentence with a cursive D. Q is also a fun one to write in cursive. So I is the pain in the ass letter. That's why I don't have I on my top five because you got to go back and dot that damn thing. Like that's just too much of an effort letter. So that's why I can't be on there for me. So so here's a test. You ready? Pretend you just got pulled over and the cop asks you to do your alphabet backwards. Can you do it? No. Okay. I couldn't even start. I could like Z, and I don't honestly even know what's next. I mean, X. I, yeah, w? no, 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 no. It's Y, uh, X, Y, Z, Z, Y, X. Well, you're going, w. Sir, you're drunk. You're going to jail. <laughs> I couldn't do that. I honestly couldn't do it. Let so, me try real quick. Okay, so mm-hmm. Z, Y, X, W, V, U. S T No, you got those mixed up. R It's T S R. Yep, keep going. O M no N M K or L. I couldn't do it. I mean you're you're halfway there. I mean you know the rest. K L I H G F E and then D C B A. You missed a J, but it's fine. I mean, that was good enough. I don't think you'd be going Fuck to jail. Who don't, cares about J? I don't think you'd be going to jail based upon that alone. Trash letter. Trash letter. Hold on. Let me drink some of my delicious juice. Mm. God, it's just nothing cool about it. That was actually delicious. I might do that more often on this on these episodes. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really does help us out. And let us know what you think are some of the best letters. I think you can make a real case for a lot of them, but come on. Jay? It's all right at best. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.